Hi, Michelle. Hi, Brett. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm so happy to see you and, and talk to you and and catch up. We've known each other since 2004? Summer of 2004, Main State Music Theater. Can I share the first thing that I said to you? Please. Okay, you, you and George Nieves were in the mirror. This is the first day of rehearsal. And you were very close to the mirror doing some, like, showgirl moves crossing your arms as if you had very heavy headdresses on and i was the dance captain that summer so i walked up to you boys and i said hey what are you guys doing and you looked at me and you said being gay and i said carry on <laughs> on we were friends i remember you saying carry on <laughs> <laughs> What a summer that was. So much fun and so much joy. We had such a great ensemble of dancers and we had parts, but it was just a wonderful working experience. I that was a summer I never expected to have to be such a um transformational summer. You know, it was like just supposed to be a job, but like between us and then like Robin Herter and Clyde meeting and falling in love that summer who are now, you know, she's Tony nominated and they're yes. raising, raising their son and, um, and George and you. And, and I remember, you know, gosh, your little cute little Angelica jelly belly. Um, she and, was three that summer. Yeah. Yeah. So, I remember just being sort of marveling at your your ability to be such a, an amazing mother that she got to be surrounded by so much fun and joy and love and and creativity and because remember we would theme our opening night outfits we would do like for Brigadoon we all wore kilts and then <laughs> and remember the girls only party I had that you and George crashed and you came I knocked, there was a knock on the door and I answered it. And there you and George Nieves are in towels on your head, baby doll pajamas, pink baby doll pajamas with the ruffled panties. You had flip flops with toenail polish with the toe spreaders in your toes. And you just burst into the party. And I thought, wow, this took some planning. We had the green, was we pink. had the masks on too with the green masks. <laughs> and you had a beard at the time for Kiss Me Kate. So you had the mask but not in your beard. Oh my goodness. That was so fun. You just burst we, into the party. And I think we had pillows and we did a pillow fight. <laughs> yes. Just hilarious. And so to me, those moments, I love being on stage and I love performing. I love rehearsing. But those extra backstage moments in the housing, I remember we had one rehearsal where it was rough. And one by one, you all came over to my apartment because my apartment was kind of like the meeting central because I had a child and when she was in bed, everyone would just come over and hang out in the living room instead. Of, we didn't really go out. And one by one, you all just stood in the doorway after that exhausting rehearsal. And then we all just came in. You know, for me, that summer was huge because I remember we started rehearsals like the day after my birthday. I don't remember how old I was that summer. I could probably figure it out, but why? Um, and... <laughs> 
And I had made a decision on my birthday that I was going to stop drinking that summer. And that was really yep. my like first path into sobriety. And, um, and so I was going through this huge kind of awakening realization, you know, of dealing with my addiction while doing that, that season being surrounded by George, who was such a drinker, partier, so much fun, but it was really, it was really, you know, internally it was, I, I was definitely going through like a challenge of like, it was just growing up, you know, it's just like, it was, I think I must've been maybe 25, maybe 24, 25. But do you, I don't even think you know this. You have touched so many lives because there were people in that company who saw you getting sober and then saw your subsequent success. And now people are choosing, myself included, to not drink and do the work necessary. So you don't realize that your actions back in 04, they are still having a ripple effect. And it's 2022 and your choices, you didn't even really talk about it that much at all. You know, just, you would always just say, no, thank you. If someone was, you know, passing out the drinks, but people saw what you did and they saw how it changed your life. And that has inspired people. I just want you to know that. Wow, that really means a lot. Thank you. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about, we're going to talk more about that on your podcast because I'm going to come be a yes. guest and we're going to talk about your podcast a little bit today. It's called, for those of you who are like, can't wait, it's called the Showgirl Tip of the Day and I'll have a link in the show notes down below. But let's kind of rewind a little bit and talk about, because you know, I'm going to be a dad any day now, probably any day now, <laughs> like literally. And I remember really always being so inspired by your ability to to balance motherhood and um, and your career and your ambition, your creativity, your entrepreneurship. I mean, the, you've you've been able to manage all of this in such a beautiful way. Your daughter's now an adult, which is crazy to think about. She's twenty one. <laughs> yeah, she'll be twenty one, and. <clears throat> As a person, I couldn't be more proud. There's such an amazing feeling. I went to visit during the week between Christmas and New Year's and watching how organized she is in her beautiful apartment. She's got a really good eye for interior design and the choices she makes in terms of furniture and decor, just gorgeous. and. She and I like to thrift a lot, so we did that, and we found some things for her apartment. But it is so much fun to see someone that you used to live with living on their own and thriving. And I always beg her. I say, could I please live with you again? And she promises me that I can have a tiny house in her backyard. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you don't you think that... Go ahead. But you raised her mostly in Connecticut or New York? New York. So, yeah. so her dad and I, her dad and I had this whirlwind romance, getting married way too quickly before we knew each other. And he was a sound man and we spent four years total on the road. But then when we got back to, we bought a house together and we just weren't compatible. It wasn't anything, I have nothing ill to say about him. So we split when she was two. Hmm. And 
I was pre I was still dancing. I I had her when I was 32, so I still had a bunch of good dancing years left, and I knew I needed to dance while I could. So I took her with me on every job and on a couple of jobs I had someone come with me as a nanny and then I found in Maine I found this wonderful lady with whom I am still friends her name is Carmen Turner shout out to Carmen I love you so much I called her I got a list of people in Maine who had in-home childcare places like they were certified so I called her and um Angelica's middle name is Carmen so I called her and she answered the phone and we just started talking and she became Angelica's caregiver while I was at Maine State for five years. Without Carmen's support, I couldn't have done what I did because as you know, a show starts at eight o'clock at night. It's very hard to get childcare at that time of night. So I did have that support. Of course, my parents were always willing to pitch in and uh, my brother and his wife, they have kids now but they were always coming to visit and supporting. So having that family support is key. Or if you don't have a family that is close by, you got to just find your people because you can't do it alone, especially if you're a performer. The rehearsal hours and then as you know, sometimes we rehearse and have a show. So it's crazy. How do you But choose... I knew I just <clears throat> Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I knew I didn't want to stop dancing. I had to dance during those years because it's a time, there's a time limit on that, you know? Yeah. So how did you decide how to choose jobs? Because, I mean, when you're talking about hiring caregivers or even asking your friends, you're going to want to give an, uh, you know, some sort of monetary incentive for their time or whatever. So you're, so you're, you're factoring in that expense in taking jobs, which probably limits the kind of jobs you can get, because let's face it, especially regionally, you're not going to make a ton of money doing theater. How did you choose that? Was there what did it help having like a little bit of support from the dad? Like how and you know, and I'd really love to know how you negotiated co-parenting and any of that if if you were able to do that at all. Yeah, that was a tricky one. We basically ended up losing money honestly on gigs like that like i basically it would basically cost me money to perform <laughs> but i also knew that when i was i always how i make decisions i always say to myself when you're 80 are you going to wish you had done it or are you going to be glad you said no and with performing i knew i still perform there wasn't a choice especially i was getting some really good roles like Charlotte in a little night music. I didn't want to pass that up. And I also knew that it wasn't forever. I knew that there would come a time where I was going to stop doing shows momentarily. When she went to school is where I drew the line because I wanted to be home at night to put her to bed and, you know, feed her dinner, etc. So, I knew that it was just a, a couple of years of it and Honestly, I lived really frugally. I just, we, we didn't really eat out. I made food at home, um, you know, watched my budget, saved when I could. And then childcare, Carmen did not charge me a lot of money. I know there are other places or other people that charge more, which they should because it's a, you're doing something, you're providing a service. It's a very important thing. 
but I worked it out. It ended up costing me money though. I'm not going to lie. Like it, I was not bringing home and saving any coins from those jobs. Yeah. I think it's important that people know that and understand that when they see working moms in the arts, working dads in the arts, yeah. <clears throat> they're probably, yeah, so, go ahead. So you and Steven are partners and you're going to work together. There's a lot of people who end up becoming single parents and that was my situation. Mm -hmm. But I, I just refused to be a victim. I was like, you know what? And I wanted to acknowledge the artist inside myself. I loved being a mother. I still love being a mother, but that is not my whole identity. Mm. And neither is being a performer. But I just knew that like now years have gone by, I cannot book the same work I booked 20 years ago. So I, while I was getting offers, and there was a point in my career where I was getting phone calls with offers. So I didn't want to, like that's a situation I did not want to uh, pass by either. You know, when someone calls you and says, here's a season, I would love to accept it. I didn't want to say, no, thank you. I'm busy right now with childcare. So I just was like, you know what? You're going to have to work it out. And I did. And it was challenging, but also so much fun and so much, it fed my artistic soul. And that is still resonating today. Hmm. All these years later, I'm glad I made those sacrifices because I can say, you know, I danced until I couldn't dance anymore, which I still can dance, by the way. So if you're a producer listening for this, I still <laughs> really good. <laughs> we were just talking about how she's still wearing leotards to teach. So <laughs> I, I would yeah, not be I caught can... dead in a leotard at this point. <laughs> oh, boy. It's a constant thing, isn't it? The physical maintenance if you're a performer, you still have to look a certain way. You know, there's no way, there's no two ways about it. You still have to train. Well, it's interesting to see, you know, things shift a little bit in the industry. You know, you do see more body positivity happening. You see them being more open to, to, to casting people who aren't, you know, svelte and muscly. And, but you also see, you know, that there's, there's apprehension around it. I think it's just, it's, it's an interesting time, you know, especially when you look at shows that maybe are historic in nature and you see you see people doing shows. It's been interesting. I just saw a production of South Pacific, you know, and it's like World War II. And you, there was, you know, and, and cables going through this huge sexual, re, you know, awakening and all this stuff. Right. I did the national tour, so I, I know the show pretty well. And I saw this production locally and they hired a... a the lead who was just a little bit bigger, like, you know, it was like, would she really in 1942 be fighting in the South Pacific? And there was zero sexual tension. There was zero fear of a war starting. They kind of, they took all the misogyny out. They took all the racism, all the text of racism out because they're trying to be more sensitive. But you're like, this mm. was the reality of the time. This is like, I understand you want to make people feel more less offended of a, of a timepiece but like this is actually re history there was a war happening in the south pacific it was super frustrating to watch and it's like a sign of this wokeness that's happening which i'm which i'm i'm all for like let's find ways but you also can't just erase history out of pieces well, and i don't even know where i'm going first with this. of all oh. 
I no, I, I I hear you. I'm shocked that the Rodgers and Hammerstein organization, uh, you know, you can't cut those pieces by law. Like you have, if you're going to buy the rights for those pieces, you have to perform them as they're written. And Nellie's racism is part of the message. She realizes during the show that she doesn't even know that she, she she's a racist, and then she discovers it through this relationship that she has with the man that has these two biracial children right so they keep that in the story right like that's still happening but they tried to soften it and make it so that she like they took the words out like when she says the word colored which is a moment in the show where the whole audience just goes (gasps) they took that out Mm. they're not supposed to that's uh, honestly Uh, like there's another moment where this where the captain you know, the um captain bracket is referring to the japanese as the japs which was something that they said it became a derogatory term of course but that's how they talked in the military in 1942 about these people that were threatening the united states and they took that out so it didn't when i remember when we did the show when they said those words it stung it like made the it made that impact of the racism that much greater and I yeah. just think that what's happening as we're talking about this is like, I'm all for like shifting things. Um, and, you know, and I think that we all need to shift because I think that what training has done to so many people in performing arts is it's messed us up. You know, like I, I know so many people with eating disorders and, um, absolutely. you know, I know so many people who are so uh, over the top about maintaining their bodies in an unhealthy way. Yes, I agree. But it's it's like at at some point we have to figure out how to do it in a way where you can still be impactful in your messaging, right? Or it's the same thing. Like we do need to take the racism out of what theater has become. Um, We do need to take misogyny out of some of these classic pieces because it just doesn't serve the times anymore. But at some point when do we when do we stop berating people for showing reality especially when it comes to a certain time in history you know it's interesting yeah and and also just about the physicality of people so if you're in the armed forces you get rationed food right you don't get to eat whenever you want there is a lack of sugar being given to you and you are you are doing all of these physical training drills. So if you're playing a character like that, um, you are you just are physically in a different zone than if you are normally not a physically active person and you do consume, you know, sugar and whatever. So I just think that if you're going to play a period piece, like if I was playing a period piece of the 1900s and I was being corseted, I would probably start training wearing one before I was on set or in the show just to get my body acclimated to that because I currently do not wear a corset. So it's just, if you're an actor part, and this is why I don't personally have tattoos, because I try to make a blank slate for myself. Mm. And if I get a tattoo on my arm or on my chest or on my shoulder, I feel like if I were cast in a 1600 piece, 
that just creates more work for everybody. Like, sure, if it was a film, they could erase the tattoo in post. But I just like to maintain some sort of, like, neutral canvas. Yeah. I try to, anyway. I, yeah, I mean, it's not... So, I, I think that there's, you know, Broadway's for all bodies and everyone's welcome. But it is certainly an interesting time to watch and to, and to sort of, and, and this is kind of going to lead into what I'm talking about. You're an educator as well. You've been an educator for years in helping young performers. And that's one of the inspirations for you starting your podcast, right, is, is to help young performers understand the realities of the industry and the business. But it's an interesting time to watch this evolution happen because because the industry has historically been elitist and has historically been, you know, undervalued performers. You know, we're talking about how you were losing money doing shows and you're doing, yeah. eight, you know, eight shows a week, working six days a week, getting one day off. I mean, it is a, it is a challenging industry. So as an educator, have you noticed this evolution of, mindset that's happening and what sort of surprises you about about that time this time okay that's a great question and i do see a major shift one thing i just want to make young performers aware of is that yes you can use your voice to help change things however i just want to let everybody know that there's a hierarchy of respect and in the theater there is a way of speaking that is civilized and very just respectful so when someone gives you a note i taught a class yesterday in manhattan and it was i rented a studio and i just said to everybody hey i'm teaching a class because classes in the big studios have gotten so expensive so i wanted to give an affordable option and people came yesterday and when i gave notes it was so lovely to hear them say thank you michelle like because to get a correction or to get a, some sort of instruction or direction in our industry everyone is working towards a larger goal of putting a production on or creating a piece of work and when you're the performer, you have to decide, are you the creator or are you the interpreter? And if you're the interpreter of someone else's material, when when there is a director above you or a choreographer, there is a level of respect that is so appreciated. So if you want to make yourself valuable, I'm not saying accept any sort of abuse. You know, if there's a director who's yelling and screaming, that is not acceptable. But when someone is really trying to work with you to create something that is larger than all of us, that is something that is one of my favorite things about the industry is how when you get a job, you're part of this big picture and you doing your job helps create this beautiful thing. But it's not about you. It's about the beautiful thing, you know, and I just love how we're part of this whole and we're one little piece but yet we can just keep making an impact and impact and i love that people are speaking up now i love that people are you know not just taking it when someone's being really cruel and you know there's there's just a level of professionalism and when someone crosses a line yes please speak out but i have noticed an uber sensitivity where someone is just trying to work with someone else and there's a little bit of, you know, just like if everyone would just 
give each other the grace and always assume people are have the best of intentions, like the best of intentions. Yeah, I think that's, that's the thing that I'm noticing is like people are afraid. Like people at the top are very afraid to do it wrong, which the only way you get good at doing anything is by trying and probably failing in order to get better. I mean, that's the truth, right? You you have to try to get on your leg to do multiple pirouettes in order to be able to do multiple pirouettes. You have to try. And if we don't create space for leaders and people to at least try, it's the people who don't try that are the problem, right? Yeah. And yet I feel Yeah, there's like a lot of resistance. There's a lot of resistance and you and I know there's a lot of boys club, you know, there's a lot of, this is the way we've always done it and we know what we're doing and who are you to try to tell us what to do. There's mm -hmm. a lot of that. And my advice for people is to really create your own content, really work on mm -hmm. having something that you have 100% control over. And that way you can start perhaps hiring people and then you can open up the hiring pool to everyone. And if you, you know, if you want to talk about stories that are important to you, then create, you know, create a podcast. That's why I created my podcast is because I wanted something that was mine that I could record and edit and put up and share. And I didn't have to be young to do it. I didn't have to be, you know, fabulously gorgeous to do it. There's, it has nothing to do with how I look. It has nothing to do with, you know, how high I kick. It's, it's just my opinions and my views and my heart, really, that I'm sharing. Yeah, yeah so, so you've started your own podcast. And then, uh, you know, when you were working with young people who are wanting to maybe even say, like, I want to create my own content, how do you work with the people who are going, I want to create my own content, but I don't know how I don't, like, how do you push through some of that resistance of people who are that young and help inspire action? Well, I'm developing a course actually that I'm prepping right now, and that's going to be available on my website. So I am developing a, a course about how to create your own shows. So. I don't know if you even knew this, but when our season ended at Main State, one of the things I did to support myself and my daughter was I created a one hour musical show that I took all over the tri-state area, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, and my daughter would come with me. I made Saturdays and Sundays available. and. I would perform them at assisted living facilities, hospitals, nursing homes, because those places have budgets for entertainment. And sometimes they will bus people to a local community theater or regional theater for a show. But more times than not, the residents in those facilities really can't get dressed and get out and travel. So what I would do is I did a classic Broadway show I did a show about Hollywood in you know the golden age and I would go and perform and my little daughter would just sit and watch it and she would also help me set up and break down my sound equipment. She was amazing and I got paid because there's a budget for those things and it kept my voice in shape. So that's what I'm creating the course about how 
to create content, be your own boss wherever you live. Because I think the pandemic taught us you don't necessarily need to live in one of these major markets, especially if you want to have a lifestyle, like if you would like to live in a house instead of an apartment, if you would like to have a backyard, if you want to live in a small town. Some people love a small town. And there's nothing wrong with that, 100%. If you want to have a baby, hey. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm so thrilled that you moved because you don't need to be in New York City anymore. You've spent a lot of time there. And I'm so proud that you don't feel tied to a place that's no longer serving you, which yeah, you can also go back. Yeah, it's always going to be there. And I think that's something I always try to... It's interesting when we made this transition, which feels like a never-ending transition, the the big, the first question all of our friends ask, still have friends on Broadway who are like, are you staying there permanently? Are you staying there forever? Are you never coming back to New York? That, those are the questions people ask. It's like, it's so interesting how we're all groomed that it's so black and white, that it has to be one way or the other. And it just doesn't have to be that. Nothing is forever. Nothing is permanent. Nothing is, we can choose, I could choose today to move somewhere. I could, you know, it's interesting too, because I think we're all groomed this way culturally. I think our parents were taught, you know, it's Stephen's parents are here. It's interesting. We, we were talking about how we're going to a wedding in California in July, my best friend's wedding. <laughs> and we're going to bring the baby. So the baby will be a little over three months. That's probably gonna be our first Perfect. trip with, with the baby. Yeah. The judgment. The judgment. Oh, you're bringing well, the baby. Well, it's not their baby. Well, of course not. But Too bad. It just shows you that the culturally we're all taught. It's like you have a baby. You you get a job for fifty years. You make a home. You like it's all. It, it's also interesting too because these are people who are probably I'm pretty sure witnessing a same sex couple having a baby for the first time in their lives. Yeah. So, you know, it's an interesting, we're breaking a lot of rules in, in their minds. And that, right. everyone, I just want, who's listening, Michelle is the perfect person who has proved you don't have to follow the rules. You can, you can, you don't have to follow the rules. You can create your own rules. Well, when I got married to my daughter's father, my my relatives kept asking me what was my china pattern because that's what they did when someone got married they gave a setting of china as a gift and we were performing artists at the time and we were on tour and i said we we don't have a china pattern because we're not going to have one because we travel and we don't even have an apartment right now we just live out of our suitcases and they kept they must have asked me 10 times and finally, my mom was like, please don't buy her China because like she doesn't have any place to put it. And by the way, I would never use China. I have one set of dishes I've had that I still love and I use. And I just feel lucky that I'm not on tour right now. But I, I do understand what you're saying. Here's the thing about performing artists and creatives and everybody really. We get to choose how we live and it's not how other people live. You know, no one says to a doctor, oh, you work a 12-hour shift? No, you need to be home after eight hours to have supper with your family. No one blinks an eye when someone, because they understand the importance of that. They think, oh, 
they're at the hospital, they need to be there. And it's okay that they're there for 12 hours. But it's interesting how certain jobs carry more weight than other jobs. And um, I'm all for traveling with your baby. Get the baby used to going where you go. I mean, my daughter went everywhere. But Mike, you know, I just love everything you're saying because I think there is so much judgment that comes from people who don't understand things. It's just ignorance. It's like they don't understand why you would passionately want to be a performer. Why I think as some people who parenthood is the defining title for themselves. It's like, I am a parent. Um, you know, you're not a parent and an artist and da, 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 da. they're just like, I'm a mom, you know, you, and you see that, I see a lot of content around that. Right. And it's like, Hey, there's dads over here too. Um, but the thing that I, I love about you is you, you really have this multi-passionate life. And I'm curious about your daughter. What do you think being a multi-passionate parent who followed her dreams and followed her path and continues to, what do you think that transferred to your daughter? Well, we actually, she came on my podcast actually, and we talked about this because I, she, in high school, she was a really great filmmaker. She was in this film class and the police department actually hired her to do their training videos. And I said, you want to go to film school? I'll pay. I'll pay for film school. And she instead chose to go on a science track. She's going to be a science teacher. And she explains why she chose that instead of going into the arts. And she says it very eloquently. But the bottom line is she did not feel like her drive to live this difficult lifestyle matched the sacrifice level. And one day she was joking, but she said it very succinctly. She said, I want a job and I want a schedule. So she is choosing to go a career path where she'll have a set schedule and she'll have, she'll know where she is the next month. She'll know, okay, the school year ends in June and then September I start up again. So that's her choice because she saw how all of us were busting our butts trying Mm. to get work and rehearsing and learning lines. And she knows firsthand all the work that goes into what we do to create the things that we do. So she just, she loves making films and she loves to do it, but she didn't want to rely on her livelihood for that. Yeah. And I think what's, what's interesting too about what you just said is that she has a choice. There's a choice in them. Oh yeah. There's, there's no, like, you know, there's some of those parents who are like, nope, you're going to law school. <laughs> you know, you're like, yeah, sure, and I was just... like, please go to film school. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, go to film school, right? Here, I'll give you money. But she's like, no, I'm going to do science. And I think that if she didn't have the exposure to everything she's had as a child, I don't know that she would have been able to even come to that decision. Do you? Yeah, I, I mean, I think she saw and she grew up in New York City, which was wonderful. But she also did not want to live in the city. She, as soon as high school was over, she said, okay, I need to move. She doesn't like the cold. So she wanted a warmer climate. And she also was very um, clear about a slower pace. She didn't want to have to hustle, move quickly, rush. She was ready to slow it down. And I respect that. You know, I really do. Because listen, I, if, if I didn't have to work, I would love to live somewhere nice and quiet, but um, 
you know, there's this, there's this ticking driving force inside of me that just keeps going somehow. But I think that, that, like, that's so beautiful to me. Like, there's no reason. So, so for me, like, you're just kind of talking about this. The drive started to wane. Really, in the last two Broadway shows I did, I was like, I don't know if I really... I love being a performer. I love the community. I love the the Broadway paycheck. I love, you know, the the feeling of walking out that stage door. But there was this moment of like, I'm 40. This was my six-year-old's dream, but now I'm 40 and I have this different dream and it's to be a dad. And like, how do I make that happen? How do I manifest that? I, I love that you recognize that because some people do get stuck and the choices we make when we are a teenager and 18 we're not the same people we grow and we change and we evolve and we turn into someone different and i think that that's really good to just acknowledge that in yourself and to say okay like i've had enough and but here's a question for you do you think you would feel that way had you not been so successful like you have how many broad I How many eight, Broadway shows? Like eight Broadway lot, credits. Right? You know, it's yeah. sort of like, you know, you kind of go, okay, for me, it was like, I did what I wanted to accomplish, right? Like, it would be, yeah, it would be nice to be, like, in the West Side Story movie, but, you know, I didn't even audition for Officer Krupke. <laughs> um, so it's like, you know, how, uh, at some point you go, okay, this is, I'm, I got to listen to my gut, and that's what, you know, you're doing too, and I think that there's no... I think sometimes people feel guilt or they feel like they're supposed, again, this kind of goes back to what I was saying that we've been taught something societally and through our families or the judgment we get from our parents who are telling us it's supposed to be a certain way. And ultimately you have to listen to your own gut and not be afraid to say, you know, I want to be a parent and I want to be on Broadway or you can do all of those things. And you're, you're a great example of that. And I think that for me, it's like, I just have to go, okay. And I teach this and, you know, coaching clients, like you can do everything. You just can't do everything all at once. And I reached a point where it's like, okay, I'm going to go on this path for a little bit figure out how to manifest this. It could have been through a Broadway paycheck, but Broadway shut down. There was a pandemic. I got to read the room. I got to read the universe. What's God saying? How do I make this happen? You just got to keep going for that thing, regardless of what, things get thrown at you um, and listen to your gut and trust it. And I think that I see, I see you doing that. And I just think it's such a beautiful power of power of example. Thank you. Thank you so much. What would you say to well, a parent? I'm... What would you say to a, a kid or a, not even a kid to a person who's performing, who is like, you know what? I feel like my, my clock is ticking. I want to be a parent, but I don't want to necessarily give up on this dream. What advice would you give them? I would say before you choose to have a child, save up a little bit of money. Just so like an emergency fund is always a good idea. Make sure you have health Mm -hmm. insurance because that's one thing. My delivery without any complications, I literally just had a baby, no problems, nothing. Just like, you know, after the labor, she got born and she's fine but the bill was $11,000 and that was 2001. So nothing, you know, I want,
wanted to do a home birth, but I was nervous because I had never had a baby before. And I was like, if something goes wrong, so I chose to be in the hospital, but that was the bill. Insurance covered it. So I think I paid all of that. I think I paid $200. So, but there were things that if you look at the itemized bill, like the, the little like papers that they use to like help support you on the hospital bed that they charged a hundred bucks for that. <laughs> and um, just like the itemized bill is ridiculous what yeah. they charge. But, but, but beyond, beyond the expense of having them. Yeah. 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 Okay. So what would you say to, save, to parent? If it's in your heart to have a child, I would say do it because that's, I was a teenage babysitter. That was my job. And I loved children always, always, always. So I knew I wanted to have my own child and I knew that that was something, luckily I was able to get pregnant and have a baby. I know some people struggle with fertility. I would say make it happen and just know that your love for a child is the best thing in the whole world and you can make everything else in your life work. Things will change. You know, you won't be the same person because you have to care for somebody else. You have to put that other person in front of your own needs. And that's something that is a challenge for anybody, but you have to make sure that little baby is safe and loved and all the things. You don't need a lot of stuff. That's one thing I realized the stuff from my baby shower. And literally there's all these gadgets that you just don't even use. You know, you we just need so your much, baby. We had our shower yesterday. We have so much stuff. I'm like, oh my gosh. Um, yeah, but I also one of the things you kind of, you know, as we kind of wrap this up, but I, I want to go back to something you said earlier, which was your blood family doesn't have to be the family that your child raises. Is no, raised no. I, mean, I was lucky because my family lives on Long Island, which is one hour from New York City. So they were very close to me. And it was an hour away, but I do know that some people are estranged from family and they're not close by. Find a support system. If you even go to the park, there's other parents with kids. Um, there's groups on Facebook where you can meet up. And here's something that I just want to put out there. When I used to take my little girl to the assisted living places, that her presence was just as important as me performing a show. They mm. loved having her and she got to know people who are elderly. I think intergenerational, there's so many people around that would love the company of a little child. So don't forget about the seniors. I feel like seniors are often overlooked members mm. of our society and, you know, <clears throat> put them in these places sometimes people need assisted living because they literally will forget to like turn off the stove. You know, they're not safe for themselves, but they, there's so much heart and love in all of these folks. And I think that maybe um, finding someone who's uh, on the older side to, you know, take your baby on a walk to the park so you can get an hour of computer work done or something, you know, don't discount that part of the population. I you love know, that. I don't I think know. That's really just good. a no, suggestion. That's great advice. I think that that is a very much overlooked 
uh, part of our community. I have an aunt who's, you know, our parents are getting older too. And I have an aunt who's in assisted living. Um, so that's really, really good advice. Okay. So we're going to do uh, uh, an episode on your podcast. Yes, please. And I please. will link, link to that below. But make sure you go check out Michelle's podcast, Showgirl Tip of the Day. Yes, which is a, the Showgirl Tip of the Day podcast is the title. Which is um, a play on words, which I love, because Showgirl's tip, and she's giving the tip of the day. And uh, if you could see me right now, I, I'm beveling very hard as love we it. talk. <laughs> I love it. Um, and where else can people follow you, Michelle? Anything else? And also anything else you want to add that we didn't discuss? Yeah, I'm on Instagram. Showgirl tip of day without the I and tip. It's just showgirl TP of day. Um, I have a website, michellebrucker.com, where you can find the course, which will be finished. Probably we're talking right now in spring of 2022. It'll probably be up by the end of summer 2022. And it's about creating work that you can sell wherever you live. Love it. So that's, yeah, I really want to help people do that. So they have a little bit of financial freedom. And like I said, those places, assisted living places, hospitals, they have budgets and you'll make in one show, you'll make more than you would in working a retail job for two or three days. It's yeah. really financial helpful if you book yourself a couple and shows a month. And you're helping people and you're being of service to a community. Absolutely. It's so, yeah, one time I was talking with an elderly gentleman after one of my shows. We were just chatting about the music. He was telling me the songs and um, I walked away, you know, I was packing up my stuff and a nurse came over to me and she said, that man hasn't spoken in six months. Oh, wow. Yep. I know. So the music does something to people's brains. It fires up a part of like people even who are suffering from Alzheimer's, they still can remember lyrics to songs. Even when they lose the ability to verbally have a conversation, if you put a song on, they can start singing along. Yeah. That's beautiful. It's cool. Well, I'm so glad you were here. I can't wait to continue this conversation on your podcast. Um, and I'll see you over there. Thank you. Thanks for having me.